Hello, welcome to the Roundhouse Podcast with Paul Solentrop of Wichita State University Strategic Communications. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your time. Today, we're going to talk Shocker basketball with Bob Hull. Bob is in his 17th season as the color voice for the Shockers, radio and TV. He will be on his way to Myrtle Beach later this week as he will go with the 3-0 Shockers. They play in the Myrtle Beach Invitational. They will face Coastal Carolina in Coastal Carolina's home gym in a tournament. That's kind of unusual. Uh, 3.30 p.m. Thursday on ESPNU. So, Bob, we've got three games. Let's give all the caveats. Small sample size. Uh, There's some uh, weird circumstances. Lipscomb played without their all-conference player. Uh, Western Kentucky had an atrocious three-point shooting night, 0 for 21, which probably isn't going to happen much. And then the Shockers played friends of the NAIA. So all of this is uh, is small sample size, as we said. But three games in under Coach Paul Mills, you've had a lot of time to die, to watch practice. How do you describe his coaching style? Oh, uh, I'd say up tempo. Uh, they they like to run. They like to push it. They like to. Uh, be spread out on offense and have good spacing and they they're they're not they're not uh, they don't mind taking a quick shot if somebody gets a good shot early in the possession they'll take it uh, so it's not like they're uh, trying to run and and rotate the ball or reverse the ball x number of times and, and work the clock they they push it up Look for a shot at the basket, either somebody driving or a postman posting. And if that's not there, they're right into their offense and they're looking for a good shot right away. He has said, uh, this isn't an exact quote, but I think words to these effect, uh, his job is to prepare them in practice. And that's kind of where he uh, holds them accountable and really is detail-oriented. Uh, practice video, and then they play the game, and I think he wants them playing pretty free out there. Does that remind you of of any other coaches? Who would you maybe compare him to? Ooh. He's he's a cool customer. Uh, I haven't seen him too excited over there on the sideline yet, and uh, Lord knows he could have been during that Western Kentucky game, but uh, he keeps he keeps his cool and. Uh, I don't see a lot of yelling or a lot of uh, admonishing. Uh, he seems to be pretty positive and, and just kind of explains to them. I've talked to some of the players and asked them if Coach got on them about their rebounding and, and such and, and uh, thought thinking that he maybe he got after them in some, in some timeouts. But the players said, no, he just, just explains to us, that, you know, long shots, long rebounds, you know, you've, you've got to hold them to one shot. And so I think he's uh, very measured and uh and positive and so far i think they've done a good job of uh trying to not try to do things that the team can't do you know he he puts the players into situations where they can be successful so he tries to figure out what can these guys do well and then let's try to let's try to get their offense running where where they can they can do that yeah, his sideline demeanor has been, I think, a lot of people are watching that. Uh, and he's talked about it. The players have talked about it. And, yes, he's very uh, – he's pretty calm on the sidelines. I saw him 
He had a couple chats with referees in some games, but in general you don't see a lot of reaction. And his explanation and the players' explanations has been that kind of stuff happens maybe a little bit more in practice. That's where he might get a little more little more animated, but the game is time for them to that's kind of for the players, that's when they're to play, not worry about him uh, you know, waving his arms and, and doing those kind of things. You said who who do I compare him to? And I I'm trying to I've been kind of searching my mind trying to think of somebody. Uh, nobody I've coached with, <laughs> but uh, I would say maybe the first name that popped to mind was like uh, Tom Tom Davis at Iowa. He was pretty uh, professorial and and analyzed things and didn't yell and scream much. And and uh, really, Lou Olson, Lou, Lou Olson didn't didn't scream a lot either. Uh, but uh, uh, most coaches are pretty excitable, and uh, so far Paul seems to be pretty cool. All right. He reminds me a little bit of Chris Lamb because Chris is always holding a piece of paper and looking at his, you know, the statistics and uh, I guess match notes, whatever he's looking at on the volleyball sideline and doesn't get too animated very often. And Paul Mills has a, has a little smaller piece of paper that he is always looking at. So there's a little bit of a comparison there. Uh, you mentioned the spacing, and that's, I think, one of the things that has really stood out here at this early point. Uh, and he's doing it without a team that is a great three-point shooting team to, to this point, obviously could change. What's he doing on offense to clear the lane so that guys have room to operate and then get shooters open shots? How does he create that that spacing? Well, they, uh, they're they running some dribble drive, uh, what people call dribble drive, where you keep the postman away from the ball. He's on, instead of uh, in the old offenses, you always had the postman following the ball. Whatever side the ball was on, the postman would post up on that side. And in the dribble drive, you keep the postman away. So the ball, the guys with the ball have more room to drive, and there's not a big defender there ready to help. So they, they space four on the perimeter quite often and have one postman, but he's, he's on the opposite side of the ball. So they do some of the dribble drive, and then they also uh, do ball screens with, with the bigs. They have uh, Kenny Poto or uh, Quincy Ballard come up and set a ball screen on on the guard, and that takes here again. It takes the big guy out of the lane and it takes the big guy's defender out of the lane. So you've got four on the perimeter plus a fifth now with the screener, and then they come off that screen, and the big guy might roll. Somebody else might uh, zipper up, meaning that they'll cut up. If the big guy's rolling, they'll cut up and try to try to take advantage of the defense helping. Uh, try to try to anticipate or read the defense and see how they're helping and then go to the guy they're helping off of. And we saw a good example of the adjustments that he made in the Western Kentucky game because Western Kentucky really aggressively, I guess, blitzed or trapped, whatever you want to call it, when Shockers were trying to ball screen. Uh, that gave the Shockers a lot of trouble after halftime. They took away the screener, which since then took the extra defender out of the way and really just let the guards kind of go one-on-one. Uh, what, what kind of an adjustment was that, or why was that adjustment effective? Uh, well, it wasn't working. What they were running was not working, and uh, Western Kentucky was making that hard hedge and, and almost a trap when, when you set a, a screen on the ball out front, and a lot of their offense initiates with, with a ball screen. And so they, they took that away and made it very, very difficult. They're very aggressive, very handsy. And then the guys away from the ball were all uh, opportunistic. They were, they were there waiting to pick off passes. So 
uh, it really took the Shockers out of their uh, offense. And at first, it looked like they were faking, like they were going to come up and set a ball screen like Quincy Ballard or Kenny Poto. Then he would dive to the basket. And so they tried that a little bit before halftime. They got some some things working on that. But I think at halftime, Paul Paul mentioned after the games that he had to go in and just say, hey, this isn't working. Uh, let's scrap the game plan and go with a different offense. And he, he, uh, he came up with a, a drill that they do in practice to work on spreading out. And he said, okay, we're going to run this drill as our offense in the second half. So it was a gutsy move to just go to something something new uh, that was a drill but not an offense. And it was very effective. Uh, they didn't screen on the ball. They kept everybody spaced. And that allowed uh, Xavier Bell to drive, and it allowed uh, Harlan Beverly to drive. And those two guys are pretty good at getting to the basket and, uh, and finishing when they get around there. And then when the bigs were helping, our bigs were doing a good job of slipping uh, behind them for easy baskets. So it was a, I thought it was a great adjustment at halftime by Coach Mills. The spacing has stood out. The other thing that stood out to me, and you mentioned this just a couple minutes ago, putting people in a position where they are are comfortable. And we've seen the examples. Uh, Xavier Bell kind of looks like a fullback playing point guard. Boy, he's really going to the hoop, and he's got some some crafty footwork in there. Uh, Colby Rogers picking on a smaller defender. I think he's put he's gotten a lot out of Quincy Ballard. When I don't know that we were all sure what he would get out of Quincy Ballard. How does he put people in those in those kind of favorable positions? Well, uh, I'll give you some examples. Uh, you know, Xavier is not your, uh, you know, a lot of point guards, they'll hit the post and then slide and they'll kick it back out for the three. And, and that's not the strength of his game, sh- shooting three-pointers. And he's not a catch-and-shoot guy. He's more off the bounce. He's a lot more comfortable playing off the bounce. And he's really good at getting in the lane and shooting over bigger guys or, or posting up his, his uh, defender, which is usually his height or, or shorter, and uh, that was very effective in the Western Kentucky game, going over and shooting over the guards. And then uh, he's also pretty good at shooting over the big guys when they come to help, and he has that really high-arcing moonshot that he puts up there and, and, and scores on. So uh, they're, they're, they're allowing, uh, they're, they're running an offense which allows Xavier to drive without a lot of help around him and get to the basket. Uh, same for Harlan Beverly. They're, they're, they've got it spaced out so Harlan can drive. For Quincy... Uh, not as he's posting up some, but uh, a lot of it is lobs up at the basket. He's really good at catching lobs and laying them in the basket. So they try to get those a lot. And then I think uh, what I've been surprised with is how well he and Kenny Poto have been playing off one another. Uh, Quincy's made some really nice passes to Kenny, and so they're moving in tandem and doing some nice cutting uh, one guy reading the other guy's movements and and getting to a, an open area, and I like the way I like I like the way they're moving. Uh, some guys are, are pretty good one-on-one players. Colby uh, uh, Rogers is a very good one-on-one player. He's got that fadeaway jumper, and uh, they look for him on out of bounds plays. So they're they're going to him uh, more one-on-one, and uh, I think you could say the th- same thing about. Uh, Isaac Abida, he's a, he's a pretty good one-on-one player, and so they're allowing him to do some more one-on-one than some of the other guys. Uh, and then original in the corner, the corner threes, uh, he's been effective at knocking those down off the bench. So they're just they're, they're taking what each guy does uh, well and trying to have them do that in their offense. 
Wichita State's defensive numbers are pretty good, and you watch them. They seem to be a team that's that's playing hard on defense, seems pretty organized. What are your impressions of Wichita State's defense? It's been it's been good and it's been not so good. Uh, that's something that's hopefully going to get better, you know, as as they go along. I thought uh, in the Western Kentucky game, uh, Lipskin was a little bit short. They didn't have their their all conference forward, and so uh, I thought the defense looked pretty strong against them most of the night. Western Kentucky, the the transition defense uh, was not where it needed to be. In the first half, it got better in the second half. Uh, they've, they've got too many layups uh, uh, in the in the first half. I think they got uh, six points off transition, and Shockers didn't get any in the first half, and they were down two at half. But uh, uh, second half, I thought they, they tightened that up, and in, uh, I thought their defense came out just totally flat in the uh, Friends game Sunday, uh, and they just weren't ready to play. And But they got it going. Uh, they got it going. So I think they're really big on communication, as, as most coaches are defensively. you got to talk. you got to communicate. They do a lot of switching. They don't switch all five positions, but they have you know guard, guard, guard switches, big, big switches, and uh, they have communication on, on how they do that. And then they have, uh, they have different parts of the floor. If, if the ball gets to a certain segment of the floor, then they play a, a different defense, and they will try to keep the ball in a corner. They will try to keep the ball on the side of the court and not let it reverse or not let it get out of the corner. So they've got some, uh, they've got some interesting man-to-man defensive uh, ploys there that uh, take advantage of uh, when the ball is in a, a, a vulnerable spot. You know where they can take advantage of uh, of passing lanes. So uh, yeah, the baseline. It seems like you can watch and you can tell they they like to use the baseline. Is that extra defender? Is that one of those areas you're talking about? Yeah, all coaches all coaches do that. Force guys to the baseline and then and then trap and rotate. Uh, they when they get a ball in the corner, they try to keep it in the corner and then everybody overplay the pass coming out of there. Uh, so uh, they do some nice some different kinds of rotations. Uh, especially they were doing that. Uh, in, uh, I want to say the Western Kentucky game, I think it was, where they were rotating because uh, they had some guys that could really uh, pick and pop, you know. So, uh, or maybe it was the, uh, it might have been the Lipscomb game they were doing that because their, their bigs could really shoot the three. So they were really working on some switching on ball screens when, when a big was guard up, uh, uh, was screened for a guard, they were going to switch that. But then they had some really interesting rotations. To help cover up uh, what teams do when you when you switch uh, a, a little on a big or a big on a little, so uh, it's interesting. It's been interesting to watch them in practice and and see uh, see how they how they approach things. So if you watch the Shockers, you see on defense, you see a lot of pointing, a lot of talking. Really crucial the way they play defense. How do you go about coaching that communication part of the game? Well, you stress it in practice every single day, every single drill. And uh, Coach Mills and his staff have been just really big on getting the guys to talk and communicate uh, on offense, on defense, uh, about uh, what play they're getting ready to run. And they just stress it all the time in practice every single day. Shockers are shooting three-pointers at a rate uh, really far below what Paul Mills did his last three or four years at, at ORU. Uh, is this an example of him tailoring his approach to the to the talent that he's got on this team? 
I would think so. I really haven't talked to him about that, but uh, my best guess is that, that yeah, they, 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 they know that, uh, for instance, Harlan and, and Xavier are much better, much more effective driving to the basket and going inside than they are just catching and shooting threes. So uh, those guys are driving and trying to score inside. And it puts pressure on the defense when you do that. And but but Kobe Rogers, uh, on the other hand, is is, is shooting threes, and and Dalen Rich Richland's shooting threes. So, uh, I, and I think uh, Kenny Poto's not shooting as many threes as as he did last year. So, I think yeah, I think they're trying to look at. Uh, they chart everything in practice. They they do a lot of shooting drills, and I'm sure they're charting all of those. And I uh, I haven't talked to them about this, but I would imagine they have to have a. They have to meet a certain threshold in practice uh, with their with their number of shots that they shoot uh, before they get the green light shooting threes. Uh, so you watched Colby Rogers in practice last season, and we were all told he was an excellent shooter. Anything he's doing this year surprise you? The one on one, he was doing a lot of catch and shoot last year. Uh, I didn't see the fadeaway jumper as much Uh, of course he was on the second team playing against the first team last year because he wasn't eligible to play so he wasn't running the out-of-bounds plays and trying to score off of them as much as the top seven or eight guys were so i've been really impressed with uh, how how well he scores off out-of-bounds plays and uh and how he can beat people off the bounce with that fadeaway jumper so uh uh, that that's that's been a nice surprise you mentioned the out-of-bounds plays, and that's been noticeable in these first three games. Uh, Shocker coaches seem to have a nice knack for, for drawing them up and getting something out of them. What stands out to you about the baseline and the they had nice sideline out-of-bound play, too? They they seem to execute them really well. Uh, I, I think uh, they've gotten they, they've scored. I haven't really seen a, a percentage on how many they've what percentage they're scoring off of on the out-of-bounds plays, but... Uh, now they're doing a nice job, and uh, they're, they're running some nice stuff and getting the ball to guys and, and where they can score. And I thought that one, uh, the one they ran against the zone, you know, I can't remember if it was a Lipscomb game or the West Kentucky game, but they did a nice job of coming out of a timeout and running a nice play, for, and they got a lob to uh, to Abide uh, over the top of the zone. So. Uh, I thought, thought that was a nice play. Right. But, yeah, uh, that was a Lipscomb game, I think. Yeah. It's always easier to score off out-of-bounds plays in the non-conference because uh, these teams don't know you as well as the conference teams. When you get into conference play, uh, it gets tougher. Right. We would add that to our small sample size caveat, but it, it has been noticeable to this point. They've pulled off some, some slick inbounds plays and, and had some success with that. All right, Bob, so 17 seasons. You've seen a lot of uh, a good chunk of recent Shocker basketball most memorable game from your time sitting courtside and and providing color with Mike Kennedy? Ooh, good question. I'm throwing this at you, so take you know, take a few one? take a few seconds. I always ask for one, but well, of I'm gonna course we're not we, going to penalize you for two or three. I'm going to go with the one we won, uh, uh, Gonzaga, uh, out there in Salt Lake City when uh, we knocked off the number one team in the country. Uh, to advance to the Sweet 16 in Los Angeles. So I would say that one because we won, but just as memorable were a couple that we lost. Uh, the tough loss to Kentucky when the team was undefeated in St. Louis. We played them in the second round. And then, of course, the Final Four game against Louisville. That was uh, that was a very memorable game, but uh, 
your feelings about it aren't as good as that Gonzaga game. Right. So Gonzaga and Louisville would have been 2013 NCAA tournament. The Kentucky loss in, in St. Louis would have been the next season, 2014 NCAA tournament. Uh, which shocker player did the best player of the game interview? From from the, all the time I've been here? Uh, Fred Van, Van Vliet. Uh, Fred, Fred could analyze a game like a coach. And when you talk to him after the game, he had really good recall. And he could remember different parts of the game and what the other team was doing and what we were trying to do and and what worked and what didn't work. And he he was really good. He was good. I'm sure that's one of the many reasons why Fred is enjoying a successful NBA career. Uh, who's the best team the Shockers have played over the past 17 years? Ooh, good question. That Kentucky team in 2014 was pretty good. Uh I'm glad we didn't play them the next year when they were undefeated. They were even better that following year. Oh, gosh. Good question. I guess the UConn team in Maui would be a, would be a contender. That would be one. Yeah, they were good. They won the national title. I, didn't, I wasn't at that game. Uh, I didn't go to that tournament. Uh, Dave did that one. Oh, okay. okay. I wasn't there. But, uh, yeah, I would say maybe, uh, maybe Kentucky – when they knocked us off in St. Louis or, uh, you know, Louisville was pretty good, but we had them beat. The referees hadn't got us uh, in that Final Four game. I don't know. That's a good question. I want to think about that. Kentucky's we'll to, a we'll, solid choice. We'll yeah, I don't come back on. I think come you, back to that. Yes, if you have somebody else, some another team pops into mind, you you let us know. But I think Kentucky would be a, a solid answer. So this is the ten year anniversary of that 2014 team that went 35 and 0, right up until playing Kentucky, number one seed in the NCAA tournament. What stands out about that team about that season? Hmm. It just uh, you know some guys. Some guys matured, and uh, now all of a sudden Fred and Ron weren't freshmen like they were the Final Four year. They had a year or two under their belt. Uh, Clay Anthony Early was a a different player. Uh, He really came on his senior year. His junior year he was kind of up and down. He'd be good one game and then bad two games, but he was a lot more consistent player, and by the end of the season he was really, really hard to stop. Uh, I thought uh, that team just, uh, they did a lot of things well. They, they defended well. They rebound well. They had pretty good depth. Uh, they had a lot, of, a lot of good players, and, and that helped in practice because there was 10, 11 guys, and they could 12 guys, they could go at each other in practice. And a lot of the practices were tougher than the games that they played, so it was a very, uh, very competitive, aggressive team. That was a fun year, no doubt. Uh, Let's talk about Craig Porter, who has made his NBA debut. Uh, Had a nice career here, but a career that he was kind of short-circuited a couple times by injury. He got caught in the COVID web uh, his first year, but ended up being a a very good player for the Shockers and kind of carried that team last year to a a large degree. What's keeping him in the NBA? What makes him that kind of player? Well, he's... he's he, he just helps the team win. He, he's, uh, he can defend. Uh, he can handle the ball. 
Uh, he can shoot. He can beat guys off the bounce. He's a really good rebounder. Uh, he's a shot blocker. He's just got NBA athleticism, you know, at 6'3 or 4, maybe 6'3. And uh, he's just a super athlete. He's smart. He doesn't have a big ego, you know. Uh, he's going to do whatever the team needs him to do to win. So it's not like he's got to go out there and take a lot of shots like some young guys do. And I think also he's always kind of been like this. He plays at pace. He doesn't get sped up and go 1,000 miles an hour. You never see him turn the ball over because he's going too fast. He he knows how to play at pace, and a lot of guys, it takes them a while to, to learn that. Yeah, those are good good descriptions, boy. As you were talking about his ability to get into the lane, he would have a lot of success in with you know in this offense because you get him going in a in an empty lane, uh, and he can do a lot do a lot of damage. I know when he when they played we played Houston last year. Uh, uh, Kelvin Sampson was just shaking his head when uh, they barely beat us up here. It was like, uh, man, he's got an old man's game. You know, we we didn't have anybody that could guard him and. And uh, IB did a good job of isolating Porter and let him go one-on-one, kind of similar to what they did the other night against uh, Western Kentucky. Definitely. Uh, last book you read? Oh, shoot. Uh, Life by Keith Richards. Okay. His biography, autobiography. Of course, a guitarist for your, are they your favorite, absolute favorite, the Rolling Stones? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, they got a new album out. Yes, give Hack- us a quick Hack- review. Hackney Diamonds. Uh it is a masterpiece. Go buy it today. How many times have you seen the Rolling Stones? Fifteen. Fifteen times. Very nice. Favorite restaurant from your time traveling with the Shockers? Ooh. Um, there's a steakhouse up in Omaha that we went to one time. I can't remember the name of it, but it's an old-fashioned steakhouse with the mahogany walls. and It was a lot more expensive uh, than most restaurants I ever go to. <laughs> but a lot of boosters were on the trip when we were playing Creighton, and we had a lot of people along. I think it was probably 2013 or 2014, and we went to a really nice steakhouse up there. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I can't. Uh, you know what? The food in New Orleans. Uh, uh, I love the gumbo and the, and the food in New Orleans, so... I don't have a favorite place down there, but uh, everywhere you go, there's good food. That would be a good stop for food. So you've been doing this 17 years now. How has your preparation changed? What have you added to your to your preparation over this time to, to be a better color person? Oh, I think I've gotten better at it. Uh, I, I, I know for me what's important and what's not important. The weird thing is you've got to prepare differently for television than you do for radio. Because in television, the color guy talks a lot more because people can see what's happening on the screen, so the play-by-play doesn't have to describe every little thing. So you have to have more uh, interesting stuff about each player when you're preparing for a television game. But when I do color for the radio, you know, Mike Kennedy's got to, he's got to describe everything that's happening. The ball's coming up the floor, and it's getting passed to the left wing, and, and so you got to learn to jump in and out real quickly when you're doing the color on the radio. So I don't need as many numbers, uh, but and so I'll, I'll tone it down a little bit, pare it down a little bit when I when I prepare for the radio, for for uh, for the Shocker games. But uh, but but you have that pregame show, so guys call in and ask questions. So you want to know, you want to have uh, 
everybody's stuff so you can uh, defend an argument. Is that why Mike has that ruler so he can wrap you on the knuckles whenever you you, you talk too much during the radio broadcast? Uh, you know, we've got a pretty good tempo. Uh, uh, he hasn't had to do that very often. Uh, it's uh, He's so good. I, sometimes I don't even have to describe a play because he's described it so well just when he does the play-by-play. So I really don't have to add any color because he's already done it. So... Uh, but it's a different, it's a different tempo, different timing. And, uh, we, we've gotten a pretty good feel for, um, jumping in and out and not talking over each other. Yeah. What does make Mike Kennedy so, so good at his job? He's been doing it a long time and he loves what he does. Uh, I don't know if I know anybody that loves what they do more than Mike does. Uh, I don't think he'll, uh, people say, how long is he going to do it? When is he going to retire? I go, he's not going to retire. <laughs> he loves it too much. And, he just loves doing basketball, and I think may, I think he probably likes doing baseball even even better than basketball. He is a big baseball guy. Yes, yeah. yeah. He and did volleyball. Still does volleyball home games on on TV. But boy, there was a time where he traveled with volleyball, traveled with basketball, traveled with baseball. So that's yes, then, that's the definition of loving what you do. I and think. then does the Wichita Open golf tournament in the summer. You know, <laughs> so yeah, he he's a hard worker and loves what he does and. Uh, uh, he's he's really good. I mean, uh, he's just he's just a pro's pro. No doubt, no doubt. Bob Hall, entering or, or in the early stages of his 17th season as a color voice for the Shockers on radio and TV. Uh, Shockers will play Coastal Carolina 3:30 p.m. Thursday on ESPNU. Bob, have a safe trip and thanks for your time. You bet, Paul. Nice being with you. Hi, this is Rick Muma, president of Wichita State University. Check out the latest episode of the Forward Together podcast. Each episode, I sit down with different guests from Shocker Nation to celebrate the vision and mission of Wichita State University. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Roundhouse Podcast, courtesy of Wichita State University Strategic Communications. We encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find more Roundhouse content at GoShockers.com. Bradshaw into Wingate. Wingate's going to dribble it a couple of times and throws it in the hands of Kuznard. Threw it away. Kuznard to Ryan Martin for the dunk. The Shockers are going to the Sweet 16. It's all over. The Shockers up seven. Three seconds. Two. Jeffrey by Smith is no good. Wichita oh State goodness. to the Sweet 16. <laughs>